Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Well, last week we uh, got halfway through the message that we, uh, we started, and uh, it was impactful, I believe. It, it was a challenge to me. And uh, I just want to remind you there in your notes, it's point number one. It is Christ weeping exemplifies what our brokenness over the loss in our city should be. Again, based off of his brokenness over Jerusalem and his situation, we saw these, these several things that showed us uh, why we should be broken over the loss in our city. And just a reminder, some of you have maybe the notes from last week. If not, we'll put them up there. It says, because we remember our own salvation from sin, because we believe that judgment is real, we believe um, and because we love as we are loved. And this is the thought that I, that I have on this, because we love as we are loved. And, and I want you to listen to this, because this is something that challenges me. I shared it this weekend. Uh, I want to continue to do this uh, and challenge us as a church. But what kind of selfish monsters does it make us to have and to hoard the love of God and not share it? What kind of selfish monsters are we? If we have the only way to heaven and we never tell anybody that that's, that's the way. And if that's what we do, if that's what Christians do is have and hoard the love of God, why would the lost world want that kind of love anyways? And so we have to remember we should be broken over the lost and it should cause us to do something because We've experienced the love of God, and we're supposed to love as we are loved. Another reason is because we know that many are called, but few are chosen. We know the path is wide that many are on that leads to destruction. The narrow path is leading to life everlasting, and few are on that. And because we see the ravaging nature and effects of sin, uh, unfortunately, that's one of the things that we've seen here recently, even what happened in Las Vegas, the ravaging effects and nature of sin. That's what happened. Uh, because man is sinful still, and because man acts on sin and is sinful, uh, those kind of horrible acts that cause death and murder, all all that stuff is is a result of that. And so we see that, and we see uh, those people. We don't know those people who who died were murdered on that day. We don't know how many of them were going to heaven or how many were going to hell. And we don't know any of that, period. But it's our job as Christians to try to get the gospel to everybody. Uh, So when that time comes and when the effects of sin maybe reaches our lives, and it takes our lives like that, that uh, we, again, are, are living the way that God wants us to live. But we also uh, do this because we understand that Jesus is the only way, because we experience grace, because we grasp the weight of eternity as much as possible, uh, because we get that men are deceived and the lost are spiritually blind. Uh, and unless the light shines on them, they're going to stay in that darkness and blindness. Uh, we believe uh, because we have peace with God and that the lost desperately need it. Uh, and because we realize that we can't reach the lost alone, yet so many are unwilling to help. And again, we talked about this as well. An example we saw on Jesus Christ and our struggle with mankind, we have choices. Uh, Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew who was going to forsake him. He knew at the end of it all he would be there alone on the cross paying for the sins of the world. He knew that's why he came. That was the purpose of his coming, to seek and save that which was lost. But everybody would go away at one point in time. And Jesus there on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. 
And in his example, we haven't got there yet, but in his example, as he was weeping over the loss of the city, the loss that would, that would beat him and, and mock him and spit on him, he's crying over their lost condition. And that taught us something. In our struggle, in our conflicts with each other, when we have problems with even other brothers or sisters, number one, we can either grow better through those struggles or we can get bitter. Number two, we can grow sensitive in those struggles or through those struggles, become more sensitive to mankind and what happens in our relationships, or we can become cynical. And thirdly, we can grow in grace or we can grow grumpy. And that's, uh, that's the choices we have. We saw, again, Christ became, of course, he couldn't get better. He was righteous. Uh, but he didn't allow that struggle with mankind to affect his purpose on this earth. But our challenge is to take on the mind of Christ. Just as Paul told the uh, Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And not only that, this is something that we have to realize that that's what our lives is, are, are here on this earth for. Vessels of Almighty God. We must see that we only exist because he gave his life for us. We must see that we only have hope because he gave his life for us. And so we move forward this morning. Uh, from that point, we're going to cover point two. And uh, uh, another challenge, another part of this uh, that hopefully will both encourage us and maybe convict and challenge us. So let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us once again to be here. Lord, you're the God of all creation. You are holy and as we sang it many times this morning, you're worthy, uh, you're holy, you're on the throne alone. And uh, God, we are, are so uh, humbled that you would hear our praise, that you would hear our prayers, uh, that we could gather in this place and you would meet with us. Uh, you are the, the honored guest, Lord. You are the one we're here for. And Father, we pray that uh, our response to your word, to your truth, would be what pleases you. As your people... We would take your word and we would not only hear it, but we would heed it and we would do something with it. Do what pleases you. Lord, if there's someone here that is lost, that's never surrendered their life to you, maybe they've played church, maybe they are religious, maybe they know the songs to sing, the, the motions to go, go through, or maybe it's the very first time they've ever heard the name of Jesus. Regardless of where they're at, I pray if there's someone lost, that they would be saved today. God, that they, they would surrender their life and you would... Uh, make them a new creature in Christ. And they would be on their way to heaven. Lord, move now. Just use me as a vessel. Again, it's for your glory uh, that we're here. And we want you to, to receive all of it through this. So we pray that you would just move now. And we'll praise you for that, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1962, graduates David Bernays and Charles Sawyer were unwinding with uh, a long climbing expedition through... Uh, the Cordillera Blanca mountain range in Peru. Uh, but between feats of manliness and posing against epic backdrops, they decided to examine a glacier that was known as 511, uh, the suspected source of an avalanche that occurred a few years beforehand. But what they discovered was enough to put them off their expedition completely. Glacier 511 was unstable and in serious, uh, unstable condition. The whole thing was basically one push away from obliterating everything in the valley below. A valley that just happened to be home to several thousand people. Returning to civilization, Bernays and Sawyer did what anyone would do and alerted the authorities. 
who promptly threw them in jail for causing a panic. After two weeks of, of, of struggling to be heard, the duo eventually recanted their claims and returned home. So I don't know if you got this so far. This, this, these two guys are on this expedition and they discover this glacier is unstable and, and it's just on the verge of destroying everything in the valley below. So they get off of their expedition. They stop doing and having their fun and enjoying their time. And they think about all the thousands of people that are about to be destroyed. And it's that, and, and it's amazing that the, 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 the writer of this says that they did what anybody else would do. They went down and told the authorities, everybody's got to get out of here and get out of here fast because this is going to happen. And the authorities said, who do you guys think you are? You're not, you're not experts. You're not anybody for us to listen to. You're causing a panic. Threw them in jail. And for two weeks they sat in jail pleading and begging for people to listen to them and hear them. And they just kept them in jail because they wouldn't listen to them. And because they, they didn't want, they didn't want to, uh, them to cause the panic. So finally these guys realized, well, nobody's going to listen to us. The only way that we're getting out of here is if we say, okay, we're sorry, we made it up. It's not going to happen. What a, what a tragic thing to happen. Unfortunately, the Peruvian authorities, for the Peruvian authorities, their victory for these guys recanting was short-lived because on May 31st, 1970, an earthquake in the region triggered the world's deadliest avalanche. Glacier 511 and more collapsed, burying over 25,000 people under a wall of ice and rock. If you have your Bibles, if you, if you have them already, turn to Luke 19. If not, you can turn to Luke 19. On the screen you'll see verse 43. It says, For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee on every side. They'll, they'll guard uh, the, the city on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Again, Jesus comes and looks at the city. He begins to weep over the city because of the lostness, because of everything there. And he begins to now, in verse 43, that's what we saw last week, verse 43, he begins to give them this warning. You have to understand that there is coming a siege upon the city. You have to understand that your enemies are going to go round about you. They're going to take hold of the city and they're going to bring it down to the ground. We know that history tells us in 70 AD this happened. We know that Israel became, uh, came under siege. We know that uh, they eventually would run and, 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 and hide themselves in the mountains. This happened. Many of them didn't listen to what Jesus was warning them of. But it happened. Just as those, those two men uh, came and warned the Peruvian government, this is going to happen, it's imminent, it's about to come, you better save yourselves and save this entire uh, valley, or this is going to destroy everybody. Jesus warned the city, the nation of Israel, he warned everybody that this was coming to them. Again, many disregarded that. But we have to understand something, that Jesus didn't just warn them uh, at that point in time, but we've seen so far 
that he's also given warnings for the end of time and that he'll come to a place where he begins to do that again. But we have the warnings of Jesus Christ. And so for us, your point number two in your, no, your notes is this, that his warnings, Christ's warnings, or warning echoes today that we should take him at his word. His warning still echoes today that we should take him at his word. If Jesus Christ was warning Israel, was warning Jerusalem, this was going to happen to them, and it happened to them just as he said. And everything that was going on up to that point happened exactly like God had said it. Jesus said things that happened exactly the way he said it. And all the warnings since that time have happened exactly, uh, or, or the things that he warned about have happened exactly uh, the way it should. And I want us to get this this morning because Jesus was God in the flesh. He was walking on this earth and he visited mankind. It would be like someone sitting in our presence, a person, a person in the flesh. But he was God, 100% God, 100% flesh, sitting among them, walking among them, sleeping and eating, talking with them. And he was God, 100% God, and he told them, this is what's going to happen. Again, we look back and we can, we can say, well, all these things happen. We have it written in God's word. So uh, I get how maybe it's easier for us to believe than for them to believe because he was there and, 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 and they were having to try to figure out, was he really God? Is he really the Messiah? Can we really believe him? But at this point in time, all of the miracles, everything that he had said, all of the things had shown that he was 100% the Messiah sent from God. They had no reason to doubt him anymore. They had no reason to question anything he said, to question any warning that he might give. They had no reason. We have never seen him in the flesh. We, but we have the account, again, in his word. So we stand here today, 2,000 years later, with the same option. We can hear the warnings that are echoing from 2,000 years ago and take him at his word, or we can disregard him. See, they missed it. As mankind, we missed it as a whole. A few people got it, but for the most part, they missed it. I shared this weekend, out of all the multitudes of people, even at one point in time, 5,000 men, uh, all, you know, 3,000 3, at one point in time, I mean, uh, 4,000 at one point in time, all, all of the multitudes, the Bible says, that were following Jesus at one point in time would eventually go away. And at the end of it all, after the death, the burial, the resurrection happened exactly the way he said it would happen, after all of it was said and done, there was 120 people that were left when the dust settled. After this, even after everything had happened, just as he said it, 120 people. Remember what the angel told the women that were looking for Jesus at the empty tomb. He said, listen, he, he rose from the, the, the dead, from the grave, just as he said. He did exactly what he said he would do. There was no reason for anybody to doubt him at this point in time. But much like them then, I believe we do now. We take what we want to heed, and then we disregard the rest. That's, that's, even as the followers of Jesus Christ, oftentimes we're guilty of that. We take what we want to heed, what we want to hear, and what we want to listen to, and that, that can be applied to our lives, but the things that we don't want to hear and heed, 
We disregard, we set them aside as if they're for somebody else that's a follower of Jesus Christ or for somebody else's life. We don't take the warnings and the commands and the charges of our Lord and say every single one of them is right and good and should be applied in my life. And some of these did this to their own peril. And some people do it to their own peril still today. Both in salvation, but also for the Christian. I believe there are many people that are missing the hand and the blessing of God. No, they may have things in this world and they may have some, some neat things happen to them, but they're missing the hand of God, the favor of God in their life, and they're, they're searching for it, even as a child of God. Like, why can't I just come to this place where I have this absolute rest and peace? And why can't I come, even in the midst of all my struggles and battles, why can't I just continue to have the, the feeling of God's presence in my life? What's missing in my life? And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's that we're taking the things that we want and disregarding the rest. And God's saying, listen, I want you to walk with me. And the only way you can walk with me is to walk in obedience to my word and my commands. We want everything he has. That we negotiate what we give to him. J.C. Ryle said the saddest Road to hell is the one that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. What the tough part is, is when his own children disregard the pulpit, the word of God, and all the warnings and invitations that God extends even to his own people. I've tried telling our girls the importance of obeying the first time. We've talked about this before uh, in services, and, and, and I've tried to explain to them that it's so important for, for them to listen and to follow our directions to the very word at the very moment that we say something. And we've explained to them, it may not be a big deal when you, you, know, you don't listen and you end up scraping your knee after we tell you to stop running or doing that and, and, and that happens, it may not be a big deal. But it may be a really big deal when you run out in front of a car because you didn't stop when we told you to stop. But again, that's kind of how I believe we handle the Lord's instructions sometimes. He tells us very clearly, this is what you're to do. This is where I want you to go. This is the things I want you to do very clearly in his word. And we begin to do much like sometimes our kids do. I don't really want to listen to it like that. And I don't want to really obey it exactly like that exactly right now. We've got to realize, man, we are missing out because we're doing this. And it's to our own detriment. Maybe we say, I, I, don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal for, for me not to do this. Or I don't think it's that big of a deal for me to actually do this. For me to miss this. For me to not be a part of this. For me to, to do this or partake in this or to be associated with this. I don't really think it's a big deal for me to X, Y, or Z. And we're coming up that in our own minds with our own hearts. Not based off of God's word. But what bothers me in my life and bothers me for the church of Jesus Christ is this. Why do we treat him like that? Why do we treat our father like that when we don't like our own, own kids treating us like that? Why do we get so frustrated because we know we love our kids and our grandkids so much that we tell them these things for their good 
We tell them and we warn them. We say, don't run like that. We tell them, listen to me. When I tell you to stop, it means then. Not five steps later, not ten steps later, not two steps later. You listen to me because I'm looking out for you. I'm looking over you. I love you with a love that you can't comprehend now until you have kids. And I'm telling you to listen to my words to the very T at the very moment that I tell you them. And yet again, as God's children, we say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I haven't done X or I haven't done Y my whole Christian life, and I've never been struck down. How foolish. That's like saying, watching our kids run out into the street and say, well, they've done it a hundred times. They haven't got hit yet. And never saying anything. And never wanting them to change or to listen to what we're saying. As I said a while ago, why do we do this? Why, why do we treat God that way, the way that we don't want our kids to treat us in listening to us? Why do we do that? I said a while ago, because much like kids... We take the part that we want. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And we disregard the part that we don't want. You want me to be faithful at all times? You want me to be the light to every, every creature? You want me to, to preach the gospel to every creature? You want me to go ye? You want me to be a cheerful giver? You want me to love as I am loved? You want me in honor prefer others above myself? You, you want me to do all these things? See, again, we take the parts that we want. Hey, I, as long as I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, that's all that matters to me. And we disregard everything else that our Father desires for our good. For our good and for His glory. Again, like I said, it's like we... We want God every single day of our life. When we get up, what would we like? What would be the perfect day for us? That's honestly what we want every single day, right? None of us get up and say, ah, I'm kind of in a mood for a day to struggle. You know, I'm kind, you know what? I'm kind of, I'm in the mood to get blindsided by all kinds of bad things today. I'm in the mood to, to, to get up and every joint ache and be sick at my stomach and have a head cold and, and, and have problems with the kids and problems with my spouse and problems at work and problems getting to work and all these. I'm in the mood to, to just have a horrible day. We don't. We get up every day and what do we want? We want to feel good. We want to emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually, all these things. We want to be relationally good. We want to get up and the kids are singing and they're dancing through the house and, and they're making their own stuff and they're doing everything right and not making any messes. And our spouses are, 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 are tippy-toeing through the house and, and they're just, everything's wonderful and, and happy. And, and, and we get into the car, it starts perfectly. There's plenty of gas. We, we pull up on our bank account and there's money there. The bills are paid. Uh, we we want to just go to work and no problems, no issues, no struggles. Work just happens, boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, not only does it happen like that, it happens like that. I go to work and it seems like I just got there and I'm clocking out going home and, and I don't have any worries, no problems, no issues, no struggles. We want our days to be like that. Now we may not say that, we may not talk to people like that, but in our minds, that's what we expect. That's what we want. That's how we live our lives. 
And we expect God to kind of bless us with those days like that. Because he's our father. He's our God. And he's in control of everything. And I, I want God to, to, to give me those days that are perfect every single day. Again, we may not pray those prayers. We may not say those things out loud. But in our heart, our feelings, our mind, that's what we're thinking and that's what we're feeling. I want God to bless me with perfect days every single day. Yet we feel entitled that we can negotiate whether we give him anything at all. Let alone our very best. Our all. We get up and we want the health, we want the wealth, we want the, 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 the relationships, we want the money, we want the, uh, the, the, the relationship, you know, again, well, all those things that are good and right and perfect and make our days exactly the way that we want them. And yet in our minds, we feel like that we're on some kind of throne that we can tell God, I'm just not feeling like telling people that you're the only way. I, I don't feel like giving myself for your glory and your kingdom. I got stuff today to make sure my day goes perfect. Our listening, our heeding to Christ's instructions and warnings should be because of several things. He's our God and, and, and he's given these warnings, he's given his commands, he's, he's done these things because he does love us. He, he, was, he was telling the city of Jerusalem as he had just wept over the lo their lostness. He was giving them this warning because he did love them. Again, just like we do to our kids. He told them, and again, those, those warnings echo through today. The warnings that he's given us for the end times and what it's going to look like and what we are to be doing before he, comes, before he comes again. But a few things for us to take away this morning are as followed in your notes. Our heeding should come because Jesus said it. Period. He's God. That's it. He said it, so we should heed the warning. We should listen because he is our Father. He is our God. Our heeding should happen because Jesus never lied. He never lied and he has never lied. So when he says, this is going to come to pass, be careful for this, watch for this, be, be sleepless in this, obey this, go there, do this, we have no reason to question him because he's never lied. We should heed that. Our heeding should happen because Jesus has never been wrong. Similar to never lying, he, he's never missed the mark. He's never said something that hasn't happened, as I said earlier. He's never been wrong. He never will be wrong. Our heeding should happen because Jesus is Lord. Not only is he God, but he's Lord. That means his authority over our lives. We made him not only Savior, but we made him Lord. So because he is our Lord, that authority should motivate us to listen to him. Our heeding should happen because Jesus is our hope. We have no hope beyond this world except for Jesus Christ. And so if he was willing to do what he did for us, to pay the price, to give us hope, we should listen to somebody like that. We should listen to Jesus because we've placed all of our confidence, trust, and expectation in him, which is what hope means. Our heeding should happen because Jesus has done everything he said he would do. Again, similar to he's never lied, he's never been wrong. He's fulfilled everything. He did it exactly how he said it. We should therefore take his word. We should take his commandments. He would we should take his warnings with the utmost urgency of passion. Those guys coming down from that mountain warning that, that Peruvian city, uh, that valley beneath, 
Those people should have listened to them. But those, those two guys had no authority. They had no clout. They had no weight with the Peruvian government. Why in the world would we listen to, to you? That was their mindset. You're causing a problem. You're causing a panic. You're causing people to it, it disrupt their lives and, and stuff. Stop it. We're going to put you in jail because of that. But this is God. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is our hope. This is someone who has never been wrong, who has always been right, who cannot lie. So when he says something, we should take it with the utmost urgency and the utmost passion. We should say, if God said it, it doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what the news says. It doesn't matter what the, the best Christian I know said. If God says this, then that's what I am going to live by. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul told uh, uh, the church that. He said, if I or someone else come and preach another gospel to you, let them be accursed. Because there is no other truth that's been given except for what Jesus gave to us. So maybe what we consider the greatest Christian to ever walk the face of the earth, I don't know that it is, but I mean, he was used by God to write the majority of the New Testament. An amazing example of Christianity. Not a perfect man, but a great... And he is, is telling us, don't listen to us, don't listen to me or anybody else if it contradicts the word of Jesus Christ. I don't care what I say ever at any point in my life, if it ever contradicts the word of God, don't take it for anything except for a, a foolish man's words. But we have to ask, if we are to do this, are we? Are we taking the warnings of Jesus Christ that he's returning soon, that judgment's coming, that, that, that the lost will spend eternity in hell if they never hear, that they'll be blinded by the darkness, the God of this world, if the light of the glorious gospel doesn't shine on them? Are we taking the heedings and the, war, the, the, the warnings and the, and the commands with urgency and passion? Are we more bothered by something we hear on the news than the truth and the warnings that are contained in Scripture? I, I think many times we are. I think there are times that we hear the news that the hurricane is going to hit Houston and the, the next hurricane is going to hit somewhere else in Puerto Rico. I think, I think when we hear those things and we look at the news and we look at the weather and, and we think even what's going to happen in our, they're saying there's a tornado warning. They're saying that there's a tornado watch. They're saying that these bad things are coming. These people are telling us that bad things are coming. And we begin to prepare. And we begin to say, I don't think I'm going to get out and drive. I don't think it's going to be wise for me to do this. I think we need to get in the storms. I think we need to protect ourselves. We begin to listen to the warnings of mankind and heed them with more urgency than the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't say every day, oh my goodness, it, my neighbor could die. My coworker could die. Today could be the day they, they step out of this world and one second after they close their eyes in death, they're going to open them in an eternity where they're going to burn forever in torments. I've got to live like the light. I've got to pray that God would open a door that I could share the gospel with them. I've got to put on my shirt and, 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 and give, a, give the gospel. I've got to do everything I can do to be the light and share the truth with those that are about to spend eternity in, in, in judgment. Someone once said that history is a vast early warning system. So my, my question is this, will we, like the first century A.D. populace, disregard the warnings of what's to come? 
Will we, like those in the city of Jerusalem, disregard it in callousness? Will we disregard Christ's word, his warnings, in apathy of our Christian lives, or in the comfort of our daily lives that we want to be perfect and without struggle or problem? Will we disregard what he wants us to do? Will we ignore what is inevitably coming through our self-absorption? I'm so absorbed with myself. I'm so absorbed with my problems. I'm so absorbed with, with what I want to be comfortable, what I want my life to be. I'm so absorbed with myself and my world. I don't have time to worry about anybody else's. Will we scoff at what impedes upon our life? Let's see, if I, if I start listening to God's word and heeding and obeying God's word and living my life every day like the salt of the earth and the light of the world, if I start living my life and praying that God would send people my way and that I would take opportunity to share the gospel at every, ta- every chance I get, if I start living my life like that, then I might have to stop doing these things that I really want to do. I may have to, to sacrifice this part of the life that I want for myself. We scoff at what impedes upon our life. Our life, you know, the ones that that we're directing ourselves and planning out and living out ourselves. There's maybe no greater example found in Scripture of warning and judgment than the judgment being ignored in the days of Noah. We saw in chapter 17. Of Luke, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married uh, wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. The flood came, and look at those next four words, and destroyed them all. Every single person whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, we're told in Revelation chapter 20, will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Every one. That's a dire warning. Jesus told that first, that first church, this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, just within 40 years, it happened exactly how he said it would happen. If history is to be this vast early warning system for us, we should say, you know what? Jesus said the end times would look like this. That people would be going about their lives. They would be consumed with living their lives. Going about it just like it's nothing else. Like just another day of seeking that perfect day where nothing is wrong. They will be doing life just like it was in Noah's day. Second Peter chapter 2 says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall be in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Did you hear that? It's, it's, it's going to be through these false teachers that, that have these, these greedy and covetous and sensual ways that are going to lead many people astray. And they're going to cause the way of truth to be evil spoken of. And I don't know about you, 
But there's, there's, there's reasons today that people even have a hard time giving their money to the Lord because of many people like this. Because of the perversions that people have had. The skewing of money that if you have enough faith, then you need to give so that God will give to you. That, that if, if you have to realize that God wants you to both be healthy and wealthy all the time. And many people have seen these, these false teachers go and, and, and just ruin the truth. They, they didn't ruin it. But in the world's eyes, ruin what the truth is. And so people have a hard time even giving something that's temporal and that's going to burn up one day anyways, that God has blessed us with anyways. People have a hard time doing that because, well, it's my stuff and I, I just don't want it to be used wrongly. People have a hard time with many things, but it says that th this is going to happen and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. As I said, that's what we've seen many, many people do today. You can find some of them still on TV today, but whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's coming. Verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down, and, uh, down to hell, and delivered them into the change of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after, those after Sodom and Gomorrah should live ungodly. This is what's going to happen to the ungodly, he's saying. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. It was just him, and, and Lot, Lot had been affected by the lifestyle of the people that he was living among. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations. Just like he did for Noah, just like he did for, for Lot, out of the sickness world, out, out of the, 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 the sin of this world, the, the darkness of the, of the world, God is going to save those who are his out of the, the junk. He knows how to do it. He's shown us over and over. Look, there can be wickedness all around. There can be judgment reigning all around. But I can deliver my people from that. But know just as well as I can deliver my people that the, judge, uh, the, the, the unjust will experience that day of judgment. And that's what he says, to reserve the unjust the day of, uh, of judgment to be punished. Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 tells us, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. Back in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was, was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. God, the Bible tells us, is not willing that any should perish. And some men count slackness, but it's not slackness, it's long-suffering that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. For centuries now, preachers have been warning churches and generations that judgment is coming. Know this, the signs are in place. It's happening. We see it all before us. You can turn on the news, you can listen, you can, you can see it every day of our lives. The warning bell has rung and it's been ringing and it's still ringing now. But it's up to each person whether we will heed the warning or not. 
Not only that, it's up to each person who has never trusted Christ to listen to the warning, to listen to the word of God, and to turn from the wickedness they're living in and to turn to Jesus Christ, to heed the warning, to redeem the time for the kingdom of God or not. It's up to every single individual person. And quite a bit is at stake. Our responsibility as the children of God lies in the faithful telling of the good news that Jesus can rescue his out of the judgment. Rescue his from among the unrighteous. But it's up to the hearer to heed or reject. As you musicians make their way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall, uh, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The judgment's coming. The return of the Lord is coming. All those things are coming quickly. And again, we have the responsibility as the children of God to take our Lord at his word and to live our lives with that urgency and that passion that I'm not to live for that perfect day every day. I'm not to get up and expect everything to go my way. I'm to get up every day and yield myself as an instrument of righteousness unto God. Every day I'm to get up and to submit my life to him to be an instrument vessel of honor every day here I am Lord send me Lord use me up but but I don't want to have a bad day at my job no 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 no. Lord here I am that should be our focus but I I, I don't want to have all the problems with my bills Lord here I am all that I have is yours anyways Uh, but I I don't want to struggle with this or that no it's quit living for the perfect day the perfect day is coming and it's out of this world We need to stop having that in our mind and our heart and and that be the passion that drives us. We need to have the word of God and the truth in us that drives us and is our passion every day, living to please our God, living to be an instrument, a vessel, living to accomplish his will because there's only a short amount of time and the judgment's coming. And then what happens at the judgment will be the final judgment for all of eternity. That's how we should live our lives every day. Trusting that he's Lord, that he has us, that if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, everything will be taken care of. 1980s, Roger uh, Beaujolais worked as an engineer at uh, Morton uh, Thiokol, maker of the solid rocket boosters used in the space shuttle program. In 1985, a year before the space shuttle Challenger disaster, Beaujolais had been warning Thiokol that the joints used to seal the sections of the solid rocket boosters could fail if they, be t- they became too cold before the launch. The space shuttle used two solid fuel rocket boosters and a central hydrogen gas tank to fuel the engines for launch. The different sections of the rocket, solid rocket boosters were sealed to one another with a rubber material or a gasket called a no-ring. Beaujolais and other thiocol engineers had found that in cold weather conditions, that rubber material and the O-rings became brittle and it didn't seal the sections needed into place. In this case, the O-ring would fail to prevent the flames from reaching the rocket's metal casing. And if this happens, the flames could trigger a huge explosion of the hydrogen fuel tank located right next to the boosters. On uh, January 27, 1986, the Space uh, Shuttle Challenger was on the launch pad set for launch the following day. 
The weather forecast for Cape Canaveral was to be unusually cold with temperatures dropping below freezing. All of that evening and into the morning hours of January 28th, Beaujolais and other engineers pleaded with NASA to delay the launch. Senior managers at Thiokol and NASA officials rejected their argument. NASA insisted that the shuttle would launch the morning of January 28th as scheduled, even with the cold weather. Only a minute after taking off, the O-ring on one of the solid-fuel solid rocket boosters failed, just as Beaujolais predicted it would. The flame shot out from the booster, hit the hydrogen tank, which exploded, killing all the astronauts on board. Beaujolais was so sure that the booster O-rings would fail that he couldn't make himself watch the launch. He knew what was ha going to happen. The resulting investigation of the Challenger disaster showed NASA had developed an internal culture, please listen, had de developed an internal culture that all but ignored safety. It was a culture that pushed the launch to launch the Challenger, to meet the schedule, and to keep politicians happy. It was about their own agenda, not the welfare of people. Astronaut safety took a back seat to NASA and Washington, D.C. politics. For his testimony exposing NASA and Thiokol, the space engineering community blackballed Beaujolais. He spent the last 17 years of his life lecturing on engineering ethics. In 2003, when an unchanged NASA culture caused the disintegration of the shuttle Columbia, Beaujolais stated that NASA, NASA engineers and administrators should be charged with murder. And the only way to change NASA culture was to throw people in jail. This weekend, again, we had a, a, a great time getting zeroed in on next year's theme and I shared with the leaders something that I've shared many times before I mentioned it even in the beginning a little bit but what does it say if we have the only way to heaven and the only way for the lost to know about it is for the church who has that knowledge to tell them of it just like someone did for us whether it was a teacher a Sunday school teacher a preacher a friend, someone knocking on your door, whoever, someone knew that Jesus was the only way and shared it with you, it shared it with me. We have it. And we believe Jesus is the only way. But what does it say about us if we never actually tell the lost this truth? So I said, what kind of monster does it make us to have the only cure for a disease that the world has and never tell them we have the cure and share it with them. So with that, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never entrusted him with your life, you've never said, I'm tired of living my life for me, I realize what Jesus has done, he came to this earth as God and died on the cross to pay for my sins. Three days later, he rose again. And I believe he is the only way. And I'm going to turn my back on my life. I'm going to turn my back on sin. And I'm going to entrust my life to him. And I'm going to follow him. If you've never done that, and in the process he comes in and he changes you, making you a new creature. You become born again and you become 
a citizen of heaven. That's never happened. I'm begging you today to do so. I'm begging you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Judgment's coming. Turn to the Lord now before it's eternally too late. Now. Christian, when's the last time you shared this eternally life-saving gift with someone who is destined for the lake of fire for all of eternity? When's the last time you shared it with them? Whether you gave them a track or whether you, you talked to them in person, when's the last time you said, Jesus is coming, judgment is coming, please turn to Jesus. If you can't remember, you're not sure, I'm going to beg you to come to this altar this morning and pray, God, make me a vessel for your kingdom. God, let me be someone that's used for your eternal purpose. Maybe you realize that that's what you do every day. You get up and you live for the perfect day. You, all you're focused on is how you feel, what you want to experience, how good you want things to be in your life. And you're not focused at all about being a, an instrument or a vessel of God. I want to encourage you to come this morning and say, God, help me not focus. I'm okay. The perfect day's coming for me, God. I realize I'm going to have a new body. I'm going to have a new life. I'm going to have that for all of eternity. But for now in this world, I want to be used up by you. I just, I beg you to, to take the challenge, to heed the warnings of our Savior and respond the right way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge you've given me. Lord, help me not to be living for the perfect day here. God, help me not be thinking about everything that I want and everything that I think I need. But God, help me seek first your kingdom. Every day that I get up, help me just seek your kingdom first. To think about what you have me on this earth for. When I realize the blessings are all around me. Family. Church family. Other blessings all around us, God. We, we have them. You're so good to us. But God, help us not lose focus of why we exist on this earth right now. Help us live for you. Help us heed your warnings. I pray you move now in this invitation. In Jesus' name.